Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. We're really glad to have you with us today. We're wrapping up a a series called Next Steps into a New Normal, and I've asked a a good friend, one of my pastor buddies, to come and finish this up to talk today. Uh, This is Pastor Jamie Snyder, and Jamie uh, was at a church in Port Charlotte, Florida for several years, was in my home state of Kentucky. Uh, Was it Lakeside? Lakeside Christian Church. Uh, We were Lakeview at one time uh, many years ago, but Lakeside Christian Church. And he's recently moved back to Florida, West Palm, with his family. Feels that God has called him to plant a church. He'll share a little bit about that. We're so excited about this church plant in West Palm. Jamie is a, a gifted and skilled communicator, but even better than that, he's just a good dude to hang out with. And uh, you're going to enjoy Jamie today. Would you welcome Pastor Jamie Snyder? Well, uh, thank you, John. And uh, I love your pastor, John. I think it's always important for you to know that uh, oftentimes you only see your pastor up here doing what they do up here. But I've seen him in a lot of other settings, uh, meals together, meetings together, serving together. Uh, He's the real deal. Uh, What you see up here is what you see when it's just two of you hanging out as well. So he's an incredible man. You're well led as a church. I love this church. Actually, had the opportunity to preach here about five years or so ago. Some of you maybe remember that. Uh, I've gained about 25 pounds since then, so maybe don't recognize. I don't know, but uh, that was me, and I I love your church. I I would love to just pray over you if I can uh, for a moment before we start. Father, uh, love you. We love your church. Uh, Lord, we know we're an incredibly just strange time of life in so many different ways, and uh, medically and politically and racially, and there's so much struggle and so much tension, and yet we're so thankful for you, God. Uh, You bring us together, your unifier. And uh, this crowd we have this morning is an example of that. God, thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for your word that is alive and well and can set us free and change us forever, God. And we look forward to sharing in your word for a few minutes uh, this morning. We thank you, Jesus and Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place. And in your name we pray, amen. So as I uh, get started today, uh, I just need to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. And I want you to know this ahead of time. If not, you'll figure it out later that, that I didn't come today to teach you anything new. I I really didn't. That's not just a hook. I didn't come to teach you anything new. You have incredible pastors, John and others, who stand up here on a regular basis, and they're they're eloquent, and they share with you tremendous insight from scriptures, teaching you things you you never knew before. But I I didn't come to teach you anything new. What, What I came to do is to remind you of something that many of you already know. Someone once said this phrase. They said, sometimes instead of learning new ideas... We need to be reminded of old truths. There was a basketball coach many of you would know named John Wooden. Uh, He's the the greatest basketball coach who has ever lived. I know Pastor John thinks Coach Calipari, Kentucky's the greatest ever, but he is not. This guy is the greatest basketball coach who has ever lived. Can we get an amen? Okay. Uh, He coached at UCLA for over 25 years. He won over 600 games. He won 10 championships in his final 12 seasons as a head coach at UCLA. And, And just so much incredible success there. 
people would think, man, he, he must have known something about basketball that no one else knew. He must have uh, understood the X's and O's in a unique way. He must have had a unique strategy he implemented when no one was around, but really he just, he understood the basics very well. The story is told that every year, at the beginning of uh, training camp in the, in the fall, that the, the players that come into the gym for the very first time, these world-class athletes from all around the nation, some of them from all around the world, and, and they would gather at, at half court, they'd put all the basketballs away, and he would sit them down. And he would pick up a, a long tube sock with the stripes on it, that's what they wore back then, and he would say, gentlemen, this is a, this is a sock. And he would sit down and he would show him how to put on the sock. He, he would snug it tight against his toes and up over the heels. And then he would roll it like all the way up because that's how they wore them back in the day. And he was like, hey, that's how you put on a sock. And, and he put on the other sock. And then he would lift up a pair of, you know, Converse All-Stars and say, guys, this, this is a pair of sneakers. And then this is how you put it on. And he would put his foot in snug and he would get the tongue just right. And he would lace it up tight. And then he, then he would tie a really tight knot. Every year he started out the same way. And, and you may think, okay, like Coach Wood and these guys, they've been playing basketball since they could walk. Do you, do you really need to teach them how to put on socks and, and shoes? And, and he thought, yeah, we do. Because he didn't want to get late in the season. He didn't want to be in a big time moment. He didn't want to be in a do or die, go home or advance in the tournament moment. And one of his best players have to be on the bench because they had blisters on their feet because they didn't know how to wear the socks and shoes correctly. And sometimes instead of learning new ideas, you need to be reminded of old truths. That's what today's gonna be all about. It's really what this series has been all about. For the last several weeks, you've been looking at some very simple yet significant aspects of following Jesus. And so Pastor John, a few weeks ago, gave me a synopsis on this series and what you've been talking about and what he wanted me to talk about. And then they, they sent me the, the series graphic for this series, Next Steps into a New Normal. And, and when I saw this graphic, it, it got me thinking about feet. And honestly, I wasn't happy about that. I really don't like thinking about feet because is anyone with me that feet Feet are disgusting, okay? Feet are disgusting, all right? I, I know that we, we love when a baby's born to like ooh and ah over their little feet. Like the baby comes out, we're like, oh, they have feet. Look at those feet. And we like hold them and touch them. And, and, and I acknowledge that like baby feet, they are so adorable and so cuddly and so cute. They just don't stay that way very long. They stay that way for like two or three Days And then they get disgusting after that, you know? And like feet, they get covered with corns and calluses and bunions, oh my. And, and the toes start bending in strange directions and hair starts sprouting up on the toes. And sadly, I know these things very, very personally because my wife loves me to massage her feet. And so I, I know this. She's not here today. It's okay, all right? I'm, I'm just being serious. And so then you have the toes... And then he got the toenails, all right? And like, I know some of you, you get your nails did. That's good for you. But the rest of us, it's not pretty. I mean, the toenails, they get like thick and, and yellowy and, and wavy and, and ingrown. And like feet are just really, really gross. Some of you today are wearing some open-toed sandals. And you shouldn't be, ma'am. You need to, you should keep those concealed, okay? You, you, should, you should put those away, all right? Feet. Feet are disgusting. And so I'd prefer not to talk about feet, but we're going to talk about feet for just a couple of moments. You, you may be surprised to know the Bible. The Bible talks about feet. In multiple places, there's that beautiful passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus, the night he's going to die, he goes around the table and, and he tenderly washes the, the feet, the dirty, disgusting, gnarly feet of his disciples. 
But, but there's another place Peter mentioned, the Old Testament uh, prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 52, verse seven, uh, said, how beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. And, and then the apostle Paul echoing those words later on in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 15 said, and how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I love that language. He says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I, I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe it's my just uh, sanctified imagination. But I imagine that, that somewhere in the expanse of heaven that there is this, there's this hallway. And it's, it's a long hallway. And it's, it's high walls in this hallway. And the, these, these walls in this particular hallway, they, they are covered with portraits. They're covered with portraits, uh, floor to ceiling and end to end and on both sides, but, but they're not portraits of faces that you may expect. They're portraits of feet, beautiful feet, feet that have taken and feet that, that are taking the, the good news, the, the hope of Jesus to those who don't know. And, and I don't know where it is, but, but I'm sure that somewhere on that wall, you, you see a portrait of feet, the, the really, really small feet. They're, they're feet that belong to a woman named Agnes. Oh, you would know Agnes as Mother Teresa. And this small, unassuming woman, she took the the hope of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. She crisscrossed the globe. This lady, she would not stand out in a crowd. She's not gonna win a beauty pageant if she tried. But man, she had some she has some beautiful feet. And somewhere on that wall, I'm sure, you find a, a large set of feet, maybe size 12, 13, maybe bigger. And they would belong to a guy named William. You know him as Billy, Billy Graham, who, who filled stadiums all around the world, sharing the good news, sharing the hope of Jesus frequently. He had some beautiful feet. I bet the toes were gnarly and the nails weren't pretty, but he had some beautiful, beautiful feet. And, and there'd be feet all over these walls. Some of them you would know, people you know. There'd be the Apostle Paul and there'd be the Apostle Peter, but then some less assuming people. There would be maybe your grandma, maybe your neighbor, Maybe a mentor growing up or Sunday school teacher or maybe a professor you had somewhere along the way. And, and these people from all walks of life living at all different socioeconomic levels, but they would all have this one thing in common. They had beautiful, beautiful feet. Here's my question. Are your feet beautiful? I'm not asking, of course, about the size of your feet or, or the build of your feet the structure of your toes. I'm, I'm asking about your, your commitment to frequently share your faith in Jesus and, and the hope of Jesus. Are your feet beautiful? Now, now, for many of us, that's probably a bit of a sobering question. I mean, we, we want to immediately say, well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, let me just take my socks and shoes off right now and show you I have, to have beautiful feet. Please don't. You're like, yeah, I have, I have beautiful feet. But, but on further reflection, if, if we evaluated our time and our energy and our resources and how we're investing those and how we're spending those, maybe we'd have to say, yeah, my feet aren't always beautiful. Maybe in certain moments of life, in certain seasons of life, there's been a big commitment to, to sharing the hope of Jesus with others and sharing the good news of Jesus with others. But other times, I just get busy doing life. Can, can I go first and say, that's true about me. I'm a pastor, for goodness sakes. Like, I get paid to share my hope in Jesus. I get paid to share my faith in Jesus. But, but I do, and John would probably say he does. We, we just get distracted, too, by the lesser realities of life, and our feet are not always as beautiful as they're intended to be. Now, if you're, if you're already a follower of Christ, I suppose you know 
that you do have that responsibility to be sharing the good news of Jesus with other other people. We we all do, actually. Now, now sometimes there's some confusion about that. People think, well, excuse me, I thought that was like the pastor's job to share the hope of Jesus with people. That's why we pay them, right? And isn't that the elder's job? And isn't that the the lead volunteer's job? All the people that have those t-shirts on today. It's like, it's their job. It is their job, but, but it's also our job too. The Bible says this. It's beautiful language. The Bible talks about us as a priesthood of all believers. There is no line in the Bible between, uh, between clergy and just like people. No, it's just like the priesthood of all believers. That means this, that when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to Jesus's mission. And maybe you know the mission. He told it to us, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, when Jesus preparing to send back up into heaven, said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will surely be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there are endless ways that you could dissect that command. We could, we could unpack the nuances of the original language. We could look at the historical background and, and discuss that. But, but all of that complex work would just reveal this simple truth right here, that you're followers of Jesus. Go make more followers of Jesus. Now, it's a, it's a really familiar command, if you've been in church any length of time, at least. But, but there's, there's a problem. Because these, these words that Jesus spoke, these, this command that Jesus gave, it, it paints this picture of disciples making disciples who are making disciples. And disciples who are making disciples making disciples, man, th- that paints a picture of like breakthrough, explosive church growth, <laughs> which is very, very contrary to what has been going on in the American church for a while. George Barna is a very well-respected Christian researcher, probably the most respected Christian researcher. And, and according to their estimates, between 50 and 75 churches close the doors every week. Like for the last time. They, they sing their last song. They plan their last service. They enjoy their last potluck. They have their last worship night. They turn out the lights, close the door, and lock it behind them. And, and, and it closes. Now, now there are a lot of contributing factors for what is causing this to be true, 50 to 75 churches a week closing their doors. But the issue is not something that is happening as much as it is something that is, that is not happening. That we're not showing and sharing the good news of Jesus. That we're not embodying what it is to have these beautiful feet the scripture talks about. Now, I, I don't think generally the issue is apathy. I really don't. I, I don't think you're sitting here this morning feeling like, you know what? I see the world and I see that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but I don't care. But if you think that, and if you're saying that, then you need to have a, a come to Jesus meeting with Jesus because you don't know who Jesus is and you don't know the heart and the passion of Jesus. So, so you need to have that meeting soon. I, I don't think the issue generally is apathy, but, but I think there are some common apparent obstacles that many of us would point to as the reason perhaps we're not as actively engaged in, in sharing the hope of Jesus as we want to be or maybe we should be. And, and I think a lot of people, they, they would say this and, and they would just point to a, a lack of opportunity. See, see, this is a common response because it's a very common misunderstanding of Jesus' words. People hear Jesus say, go, and they think very, very literally, like, I've got to go. I've got to go somewhere, and it's usually, it's got to be somewhere 
really, really far away. And so that means like, I'm gonna have to quit my job and I'm gonna have to sell my house and pack up all my belongings and I'm gonna have to get a passport and, and get airplane tickets for my family. We're gonna have to move to uh, some country I've never even heard of before and I certainly can't spell or pronounce. We've gotta go there because Jesus said go. And, and if that's what it is to go, uh, people, we, we immediately like step back like, I can't. Um, I'm barely keeping up with life already. I got laundry to do and the dishes are stacking up and the kids are already late to practice and man, I'm struggling at work and we can't pay the bills and you're trying to stay afloat with the hectic schedule you already have in life and you're like, I, I hear what Jesus is saying, but I, I, I can't do that. So someone else gonna have to do that. But when Jesus says go, if, if you think immediately that you gotta get on a plane or you gotta sell your house and you gotta move, then, then you're not hearing clearly what Jesus is saying. Now, now, certainly sometimes that does need to happen. Like as John shared with you, that, that has happened in my family very, very recently for the, last, uh, for the last 11 years. I've served as the lead pastor, as John said, at Lakeside Christian Church in North Kentucky, uh, John's homeland. Uh, it, is, it is a church very similar to this church in terms of size and scope and a lot of people in multiple campuses and a lot of staff. But, but our hearts have been stirring for quite a while that God was calling us to something different. And, and we believe that he was gonna uh, call us to do ministry in Florida again. You, you may not know this, but this is an incredibly strategic place to do the work of Jesus. The world is coming to us. Thousand people a day moving to the state of Florida like the world is coming to us. And, and, and we had served for four years in Florida already. And, and those four years, they were short but it was all the time God needed to etch permanently the people in place of Florida on our hearts. And, and so we believe we'd come back, but we didn't know how and we didn't know when. Well, well this last spring, I was doing a teaching for our church on, on prayer. And uh, one week I taught on, on bold prayer. And I made a statement that, you know, the size of prayers we pray reflect the size of God we believe in. You know, and I said that maybe, maybe God gets bored sometimes with our prayers because maybe they're so small and they're so safe and they're so predictable that maybe he's like, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying, but do you know who I am? And do you know the kinds of things I do? Do you know I speak in galaxies come into existence? And so we shared that idea on bold prayer. And I know there's many people convicted, but no one more than me. I get convicted by my own teaching. I hate it when God does that, okay? It's like, I'm just trying to do this thing, God, you know? So it's like, but I talked to my wife. It's like, babe, we, we've got we to step up in prayer. We've got to pray bold prayers. We've been praying a lot of prayers that even if God answered all of them, I don't even know if our world would change, let alone the world changing. And so we we're like, we're, we're going to pray bold. We're going to call out to God. We're going to go after him. And, and that commitment to bold prayer led us to pray this crazy prayer about, about planning a church. And, and honestly, I, I prayed that prayer very, very half-heartedly because I had already said several times along the way, I will never plant a church. Some of you have experienced that what you say you won't do is what God leads you to do. And so I should have been saying instead, I will never play in the NBA. And maybe things could have played out differently, okay? But I said, I will never ever plant a church. Like I've supported church planters and I've served on the board of directors of church planters, but I'm not gonna plant a church. I'm at a large church and I've got all these comforts and I've got these people and things and staff and, and budget. But we started praying and um, someone we really admired uh, challenged us to consider planting um, a church and specifically in West Palm. And, 
And we thought, we're not going to go to West Palm if we do this. You know, we, we've been to Florida like hundreds of times, but that's like the one place in Florida we've never been. So that wouldn't make sense for God to take his place. We've literally never been. We don't know a single person. But we started studying West Palm Beach and, and found that it is considered the, the number one most never churched community in America. Meaning the percentage of people in that city that have never been to church a single time, highest in that city than any city in America. And as you can imagine, then God woke us up. Like he wrecked our hearts and he opened our eyes and we started praying more and it started feeling real. And after a season of prayer, we, we said, you know what? God, God is telling us, you gotta go. You need to sell the house. You need to pack the stuff. You need to get the truck loaded up. And we did. And so this summer, earlier this summer, we traded in the, the, the banks of the Ohio River for the shores of the Atlantic Ocean. Sometimes God requires sacrifices, folks, okay? And so, but, but, but in all honesty, we, we ask for your prayers and your support. It's a monumental task ahead of us, but we believe that, that God owns, he's got the whole world in his hands. And he's got people he loves in West Palm. And, and so we're there and we're excited about what God's doing. We'd appreciate your prayers. And sometimes when God says go, you, you'll, have to, you'll have to literally go. You have to go somewhere else, but not usually. Usually to go, your best opportunity to go is gonna be right in the middle of your current circumstances. When Jesus said go, hear him saying this, as you're going, as you're walking the path you're already on, as you're navigating your days, as you're showing up to work, as you're moving through your already hectic schedule that really you need to simplify some if you're gonna maintain your sanity, but it's just as you're going. And I know people would oftentimes then ask this question. It's like, okay, who? Like, who would I share the good news of Jesus with? It's a common question, I get that, but, but it's really not that complicated. The answer is quite easy. Pay attention to your feet. Think about where your feet are already taking you every day. Where are you going? I mean, we're all going already. You don't need to decide, oh, I'm gonna start going. No, we're all always going, but, but where are your feet taking you? Maybe they, they take you every day to a construction site or, or to the hospital, or maybe you work on a manufacturing line or the car dealership, or maybe it's a boardroom or a classroom or, or the bathroom. It's probably not the best place to share the gospel, okay? But it's like, where do your feet already take you? And, and those places are filled with the people that you're going to have the best opportunity to share the good, good news of Jesus. And, and, and so as you are going, as you're going, because you're already going, all of you, as you are going, just increase the sense of intentionality to share the good news with the names and faces of people you already know. They're people that trust you and you trust. They're people that you listen to and, and they listen to you. you. You have a stake in their lives. That's your opportunity. And, and can, I just, can I just get on a soapbox for like just, just a minute, not for very long. As we think about sharing Jesus, please do so in the way of Jesus. We don't need any more Christians that are gonna use the word of God to beat people down instead of building people up. We don't need any more Christians that are gonna yell and scream and tweet about everything, what and who they're against. We need, we need Christians who would gently and meekly and humbly say who and what we're for because who and what we're for is Jesus. And for people, we don't, we don't need more Christians that are gonna be obsessed with always being right. We need people that'll humbly follow Jesus and focus on being righteous. And there is a difference between being right and being righteous, another sermon for another day. But, but as you're sharing Jesus, remember the way of Jesus. Now, a lot of people would say, man, I'm just not engaged because I just don't have enough opportunity, but you're involved. You're surrounded by opportunity right now. Just have new eyes to see it.
Now, other people would say this, man, I'm just not as engaged as I want to be. It's just, it's a lack of, a lack of knowledge. You know, I've been a pastor now for, for about 20 years. I started when I was 10 years old. And uh, yeah, I, more times than I could count, I've had people come to me and say, you know, I, I want to share Jesus, but I just, I don't know enough. I just don't have enough information. I, I don't have enough knowledge. And, and hear me saying, knowledge matters. It does. In fact, one of the responsibilities of, of your pastoral team and your elders is, is to equip the church for good works. Part of that is teaching. Part of that is sharing more information with you and, and giving you some practical instruction. Knowledge matters. However, I absolutely also believe this with everything inside of me. I live by it. That if you knew enough to decide to follow Jesus, then you know enough to invite someone else to follow him too. Let me say it again. If you, if you knew enough to decide to follow Jesus, then you know enough to invite someone else to follow him too. And perhaps that sounds too simplistic, but I just think it's appropriately simplistic. In Acts chapter one, Jesus, just before, again, he ascended up to heaven. He, he had his followers gathered around him. And, and do you remember what he said to them? He said this, he said, you, you'll be my witnesses. Here, there, and everywhere. He didn't say, you're gonna be my theologians. You're gonna be my, my experts that always have all the right answers. No, no, he said, you're gonna be my witnesses. Now, you know what a witness is. Some of you, you've been in a courtroom. This is not a time for confession, but you've been in a courtroom and, and you know what a witness does. They, they share what they've seen and what they've heard. And so here Jesus again, he said, you will be my, my witnesses. You're just gonna share what you've seen me do and, and what you've heard me say. And, and what I love in scripture is as you study, you'll, you'll find the most effective sharers of Jesus, they were just witnesses. They, they just shared with people what they'd seen him do and, and what they heard him say. And I, I think the, the perfect example of this is this woman, some of you know about John chapter four, that Jesus met at a well one day. I would love it to tell you her name. We don't know it. I'd love to tell you about her life. I don't know much. I would love to give you a physical description. We just don't know much about her at all. We can surmise some things about her life because she showed up at the well in the middle of the day. That tells us something about her. Unfortunately, over the years, we've kind of filled in a whole lot of blanks about her that may or may not be true unfairly. We don't know. We just know that women in that day usually would go to the well in the morning when it was cool and then to go together for the purpose of safety and they would get water uh, to survive the rest of the day. She's at the well in the middle of the day alone. It tells us something about her. We find out later in the story that she's had uh, you know, five husbands already and now is living with a man that is not her husband. And again, we filled in a whole lot of blanks unfairly to the woman, demeaned her in that way. We, we don't know what led to these circumstances. We just know that for some reason she's living on the margins. And maybe she's a lady that when she walks down the street, everyone else moves to the other side. Maybe she walks into the restaurant and people say, check please, and they leave and go. She's living a tough life. She shows up at the well in the middle of the day alone and she meets Jesus. Her life changes and her mission changes. Jesus said to this woman, will you give me a drink? Now, if you don't know any better, it's like, okay, uh, why is that in the Bible? Let's move on to the next sentence. Well, that's a, a barrier-shattering statement from Jesus for several reasons. Some of you know this. Uh, one, she was a Samaritan, he was a Jew they don't talk to each other, okay? Like Jews hated Samaritans. They considered them to be half-breed at best, less than human at worst. They considered them to be dogs. Jews hated Samaritans. And the feeling was quite mutual, by the way. And so they would not be talking to a Samaritan. Most Jews would not even have gone through Samaria like Jesus did. 
They would have gone on a well-worn path around Samaria to not even take the risk of running into a Samaritan. And she's a woman. And, and I don't mean that in any way to sound demeaning. Unfortunately, then it, it had a connotation. Sadly, I'm, I'm sorry for that. And, and she was a Samaritan woman. Like that's two strikes against her already. And Jesus, he shouldn't be talking to her. Even the lady acted surprised. She said this in verse nine, that the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, how can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus just cut through it. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, as the conversation plays out, this woman is a little perplexed. He's talking about water and uh, he doesn't have a water jug with him. And she's thinking, you must be a little hot, sir, because like the well's deep and you got to get water to be able to offer water. She thinks he's talking about like physical water, but, but he's speaking about spiritual water. And, but, but, but he said, I have some water to give you. If I give it to you, you'll never thirst again. She's like, okay, I mean, give me some of that water, sir. Like, I don't know how you'll do that, but give me some because I'm tired of coming out to the well every single day alone. And so she said, sir, give this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is very true. <laughs> very quickly, the Samaritan woman realized she wasn't just talking to another man. He was something more than just that. In fact, during the conversation, Jesus revealed himself to be the Messiah. And after this conversation ended, his disciples, they returned back from town. They've been off getting food. She turns to go into town. And I love, I love scripture. It gives us this interesting little detail. It says that when she went into the town, she left her water jug behind. When you meet Jesus, priorities change immediately. She had come out to that well physically thirsty and she left spiritually quenched. And I've told you all of that just to tell you this, that once she experienced Jesus, once she found the hope of Jesus, once she saw and heard Jesus, she refused to keep the news to herself. It says she went into the town and she told anyone and everyone she could possibly find who would listen and her work was not in vain. Look at this. Some translations say that the entire town came out to Jesus and many of them believed. There's a lot about the woman we don't know. We don't know her age. We don't know what she looked like. We don't know what her life was actually like. We don't know why she had had five husbands and now was living with another man that doesn't. We don't know anything, but we know this about her. She had beautiful feet. Maybe a portrait of those feet are hanging in a hallway in heaven. This lady was like a lot of the other witnesses in scripture. Her, she was effective in her witnessing because just that she witnessed. It wasn't that she was some theological expert or she was an eloquent communicator. She just shared what she, just shared what she had seen and what she had heard Jesus do and say. And she was so similar to, to the other uh, shares of Jesus in scripture, usually not theological experts. They were rarely eloquent, just people who are willing to confidently share and frequently share what they'd seen and heard. And people will oftentimes take a second look at Jesus or a second step towards Jesus just because someone's willing to say, hey, here's what I've seen. Here's what I've heard him do. And so an awful lot of people in regards to having beautiful feet would say, yeah, I just, I just don't have enough opportunity or I just, I just don't have enough knowledge. But, but that's, that's not the real issue. If, if I could just gently share what the real issue is for a whole lot of us, it's a lack of urgency. Think about this. 
Your sense of urgency in regards to sharing Jesus will be in direct proportion to the way you view people. When I walk into a local grocery store or post office, I always see the bulletin board. You know, the bulletin board that's covered with the faces of children and students that, that are missing. And, and I will oftentimes, over the years, I've gone up to that bulletin board and I'll, you know, kind of read the, the name and the information and the stats and where they're missing from and how long they've been missing. But to be honest, I don't, I don't look long. I just grab my basket or the cart and I go because I, I got to get in the store and I got to get the, you know, the necessities. Got to get bread and Cheetos and chocolate milk. <laughs> don't judge. That's what my grocery shopping looks like. But, but I just go and I grocery shop and, and that's, that's probably the way you respond too. You, you see the faces, you, you see the names and you just, you just kind of keep living. But, but can I ask you this? How differently would you respond if, if you looked on that bulletin board and you saw the picture of your child and you said, missing, lost? You'd panic. You'd forget about the grocery list. You would, you would put the card away. You would, you would flail your arms and you would raise your voice and you, you'd make sure everyone knew that my child is missing. I don't, I don't know where they are. I don't know if someone took them. I don't know if they got lost, but I can't find them and they're, and they're missing and they're gone. And you would do that all day, every day. And you wouldn't give any thought to the amount of resources you had to invest and spend and, and get rid of. And you, you wouldn't give any attention, any concern at all about the way people perceived you as you were searching for the one, your child who was lost. Complacency would have no place in your life. Urgency would be your constant companion. And when Jesus said, go, he wasn't sending us out to a nameless, faceless crowd. He was sending us to, to share with, to help find children and not just someone's children, but his children. I like to think there's another hallway in heaven. Unfortunately, this one's bigger and it's wider and it's longer and it's taller. And in that hallway, the walls are, are covered with portraits. This time, not a feet, but a faces. And these faces on the, on the walls of this hallway, top to bottom, end to end, both sides, they're faces of men and women and children from every tribe and every tongue and every background and every socioeconomic setting, every race, every everything. And all of these people on this wall have these two things in common. They're, they're children of God and they're lost. But think about this image. Every single time someone hears the good news of Jesus and responds to the good news of Jesus and they're set free and they're saved and their sin is paid for, one of the angels gets on a ladder and grabs their picture and pulls it down and, and tears it in tiny little pieces that becomes confetti and they throw it into the air and the party begins. Luke chapter 15, 10, Jesus said, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So do you have beautiful feet? As you're going, are you showing and sharing the very good news of Jesus? Are you just testifying about what you've seen and, and, and what you've heard? If the answer is no, I hope it's not because you're waiting for more knowledge, waiting to just take another class or finish another study. Or I hope you're not waiting for your seminary degree. I mean, your seminary degree, that's really helpful, but it's not necessary to be a witness. And knowing the original languages of the Bible, that's great, but it's not necessary to, to be a witness. And you can have impressive letters before or after your name that may help you vocationally. It's not necessary to be a witness. And you have beautiful feet. If the answer is no, I hope it's not because you're sitting around thinking, well, if I just had the opportunity, then I would. Because right now, you're in a divine appointment. You're surrounded by more opportunity than you could ever see. 
the issue, it's not a lack of opportunity or lack of knowledge. For many of us, it's just a lack of urgency. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey wrote this. He said, by ascending, Jesus took the risk of being forgotten. So he left it up to this, to this little gathering of followers to make sure he wasn't forgotten. And I can tell you one thing about this little group of followers. They made sure he wasn't forgotten. They shared him with the corners of the earth. They weren't specially trained. They weren't eloquent communicators. They didn't have theological degrees, but do you know what they did have? They had an unquenchable sense of urgency. Why? Because they had a friend named Jesus and they saw him die in the most inhumane, painful, agonizing fashion you could ever die. They saw him die. But then on Sunday, he walked out of his own grave alive and they saw him and they were able to touch him and they were able to be with him and they knew that because he had died, but then he'd come back to life again. They knew that there was hope, not hope just while you live, but there's even hope in the face of death and even after death. And they wouldn't keep this news to themselves. They refused. And so they thought everyone's got to know. And so one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one person at a time, they just kept sharing. I got to tell you, there's hope in Jesus. That he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he loves you more than you could ever imagine being loved. If you're not already doing the same, I hope you will. Your feet may be bruised and broken. They may be bony and brittle. They may even be bushy as far as I know. But make sure they're beautiful. That as you go, one step at a time, one day at a time, one person at a time, you're sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Man, it's incredible that you've given us this mission to share you with this world that so desperately needs you, God. This world is desperate for many things, but more than anything, they're desperate for someone, and that's you. God, you're so gentle and tender and kind. In the midst of all the screaming and the chaos, this world just needs to hear the gentle, loving voice of God. And and many times we know that voice is gonna come through us, Lord. I pray that we'd feel this new sense of urgency, that we wouldn't sit and wait for opportunity, that we wouldn't sit and wait for more knowledge, that we would just be witnesses of what we've seen you do and, and how you've worked in our lives. So we were dead in sin, but now we've been made alive in Christ because of the goodness of God. Lord, this world is needing some good news and we've got it. Let us share it frequently. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And through Jesus, anything is possible.